Amen, indeed. You can have a seat. Well, good morning to you. Really, really good to have you here today. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at the church. And in case you have been gone uh, this month, uh, maybe, you know, big wave surfing in Nazare, Portugal, or something like that, that's Steve Buckles, by the way. I'll let you know. Uh, you, you, you might not know that a while back we started a message series called Ambassador You. And in this series, we are seeking to sharpen our skills as the ambassadors of Jesus. People who have been saved in order to share his love and his goodness with the whole world. And, and in this series, in this first uh, Ambassador You version we are zeroing in on our message. What is the message that we have been called to share? And in case you're new, uh, maybe you're here this morning, you're, you're just checking out Christianity. Maybe somebody from Hillside invited you to come. We're, we're so glad you're here. But this is actually a really good morning to be here because you can hear the Christian message as we break it down into parts. And I will say, this message is going to be a little bit denser than some. But if you lock in, I think you will really enjoy it. And I think you'll come away with some deep understanding for what is the message of Jesus. Uh, last Sunday, week three of the series, I proposed that our big message as the ambassadors of Jesus has two parts. And each part is really critical. Each part grows right out of Scripture, both individual verses and uh, the big themes. And this week I've included a simple chart to help us all keep it all together. Anybody not get a handout when you came in? You're really going to want a handout. It's going to help you follow along. Uh, Randy, would you give Shannon Gillis a handout? <laughs> yeah. There are a few others. That's right. All right. Now, as you can see, take, check, take a minute to look at the chart on the front page. Just, just study that for a second. As you can see, the, the first part of our fundamental message as the ambassadors of Jesus also has two parts. So we have a two-part message. The first part can also be broken down into two parts, and they are represented by the two boxes on the left, the top in the bottom. First, the full career of Jesus, including his healings, his teachings, his death on the cross for sins, his resurrection, and with special emphasis on his present kingship. We as the ambassadors of Jesus believe that Jesus is in charge right now. He's the king of this world. That's the box on the top left. And then second, Second half of the first part of our message is how Jesus' unique career, what he did, what he said, culminating in the fact that he's king now, how that completes a very particular story, the story of Israel. Jesus didn't come out of nowhere. His life means what it means in relation to the story that came before, the story of creation and the story of Israel. That's the box on the bottom left. And again, those boxes on the left comprise half of our big message, and those are the gospel proper. 
Second part of our fundamental message at Jesus' Ambassadors is the opportunities or the benefits, to use a word that Pete Stafford uses, the benefits that the career of Jesus makes available to all people. And as you can say, see, that's the box on the right. Now, we have not gotten to that box yet. That's why it's empty, but it's going to be really fun when we get to that box. Because when we get to that box, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. We're going to talk about friendship with God. We're going to talk about freedom. We're going to talk about having a free and easy conscience because we know we've been cleansed of sin. We're going to talk about eternal life, etc., etc., all of which flow from faith. That's in two weeks. Today, we are returning to last week's box. So look at that chart again, the top left box, because last week, we based our claim about the gospel proper, what it is, on just one passage. Now, admittedly, that was a big and important passage, and if you were here, you'll know that was Paul's sermon in Antioch, uh, Pisidia, in the synagogue there on his very first uh, missionary trip. And we read that sermon uh, in full, if you were here, but we want to make sure that our working definition of the, of the gospel proper, it doesn't just kind of match that passage, but it mass- matches uh, lots of important New Testament passages about what the gospel is. Okay, now let me say this again so that we're on the same page, and I'm going to say this a couple of more times this morning. Our fundamental message as the ambassadors of Jesus, sharers of his love, it encompasses the whole rectangle. Look back at the chart. Our fundamental message includes that whole rectangle, okay? Again, notice how the whole rectangle fits under the heading, our big message as ambassadors. Now, listen to me here. Christians use the word gospel to mean different things. And if you listen to to people talk about the gospel, you'll notice this. They attach different meanings to it. Sometimes they'll refer They'll use the gospel to refer to how they understand the essence of Christianity. That's very typical. And and they might say something like this. Well, Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what God has done for us. And there's there's something to that, something to that. And then they might say, well, that's the gospel. And then other people might use the word gospel to mean what they understand to be the simplest thing Somebody needs to hear and believe in order to be saved. Maybe something like John 3.16. Okay? But what I'm saying here, an ambassador to you, is we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're trying to be very, very precise with the term gospel. And the reason why that we're being precise with the term gospel is we are Bible people. We are covenanters, and we take Scripture really seriously, and the biblical writers are very particular when they talk about the gospel, and they reserve the term gospel, again, for something very specific. Again, the whole glorious career of Jesus, everything from his preexistence to his promise to return in glory and to judge everything, and how that singular life, a life like nobody else has ever lived, completes the career of Israel. That's what they mean by it, okay? Or the left half of the rectangle, the boxes on the top, uh, left and the, and the top, but the left top and the left bottom. Yeah, <laughs> I think. 
Now, fellow ambassadors, there has been a lot written in recent years by warm-hearted Christians, evangelical scholars, about what is the gospel. And this includes heavyweights, people like Scott McKnight and N.T. Wright and uh, a guy named Matthew Bates. And each urges precision in talking about the gospel because they say if we're not precise in talking about what the gospel is, down the road problems creep up. And each in his own way says that if we ambassadors don't keep the gospel proper, clear in our minds, as distinct from the benefits, you know what tends to happen? We build a faulty foundation for new believing people. And Matthew Bates even says that because of kind of careless, sentimental gospel talk, by people like me, pastors, over the last decades or so, he says we're actually experiencing those problems right now. And that's why Matthew Bates says something very spicy. Listen to this. He says, it's not an exaggeration to say that the largest problem within Christianity today is the exclusion of Jesus's kingship from the gospel. Isn't that interesting? That's from his book, Gospel Allegiance. That's pretty interesting. Now, let's ask, why would he say that? Why would he make that claim? Why would a gospel message that obscures or ignores or marginalizes Jesus' kingship right now, that Jesus is in charge of the world because of his faithful life, why would that be problematic? Or why, even worse, could it over time deconstruct the church. That's what Scott McKnight says. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take... All right. I try to, try to boil down something just into one sentence. What's the problem with that? I mean, over and above that it might not match the emphasis of the biblical writers, what's, what's sort of the practical problem with a kingless gospel? Write that down, because I'm going to give you my thought at the end of the sermon, and we'll see if they match, all right? Again, last week in Mastering Our Message Part 1, we looked at, at the whole of Paul's very famous gospel sermon in Acts 13, and we saw how from that sermon, which again we read in full, Luke quotes Paul declining the gospel, defining the gospel, the good news, again, as the full career of Jesus, everything that he did, including his, his death on the cross and his resurrection, with emphasis on the fact that he's in charge right now as the world's king, which completes the story of Israel. Now, this morning, we're going to do something different. We're going to step away from Acts 13 and 14, which is our main text for this series, and we're going to broaden our scope. And we're going to see if other key New Testament passages define the gospel proper in the same way, in the way that Paul did in that big sermon from Acts 3. Okay, so here we're going to go into a scripture deep dive. Okay? You're going to have the rest of your afternoon to veg out, eat chips and other beverages, and watch football. But now's the time to focus, okay? <laughs> Romans 1, 1 through 4. Look at your handout. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, 
and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, let's ask. First of all, is this a gospel passage? Plainly, yes, right? Verse 1, Paul refers directly to the gospel, and he identifies himself as one who has been set apart to share it. And then beginning in verse 2 with the word which, you'll see there, he begins to unpack it or elucidate it. So that's first. We know it's a gospel passage. Second, do we have the career of Jesus here? Well, of course we do. Check it out. First, we have a reference to his existence, not according to the flesh, and what Paul means by that is his pre-existence, all right, with the Father before he ever came to earth, the eternally begotten Son. That's the first part of Jesus' career. And then Paul also mentions Jesus' Davidic lineage. And what he means by that basically is that he just descends from King David. And that's an implicit reference to Jesus' human life with the added element of his perfect fidelity to God's will. After all, that's what David was known for. He was a man after God's own heart. He had a, a fierce commitment to God's will, even though he didn't live it out perfectly. Third, does the passage lay stress on Jesus's present kingship? Look at verse four. Paul says that Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. There's present kingship. And then finally, fourth, do we have a reference to Jesus completing a particular story, not just any story, but the story of Israel? And yes, we do. Check out the phrase that connects verses one through two. Look in your handout. It says, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Well, what's the bottom line? We've got a match, don't we? We have a match between how Acts describes the gospel proper, again, the career of Jesus, which brings a particular story to a close, uh, and how that, again, that story brings uh, Israel's story uh, to, to a close, all right? Uh, so now maybe it's possible that Acts, the passage we looked at last week, and this passage, maybe they're just kind of rogue passages, Maybe they're, they're just sort of outliers. They don't really match what the Bible is saying about the gospel. Maybe. I think that's very unlikely. But let's do something else. Let's now look at the granddaddy, all right? Let's look at the T-Rex of gospel passages regarding the, the content of the gospel. If you have a Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians 15. You can also find it on your notes. And this is a really important passage for us as ambassadors, Really important passage for understanding the gospel proper because here Paul says that what he is writing is the gospel. And it's also important because here Paul uses technical language to describe the handling of sacred tradition. And therefore, if there is any passage that is important to take as authoritative on what the gospel proper is, it's this one. Now listen again as I read. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. There's the technical. 
technical language for the handling of sacred tradition, not messing with it, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. And then skipping down to verse 24. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And get this, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Interesting, huh? Now, let's do that same analysis we just did with Romans 1. First, is this a gospel text? Is it? It's absolutely a gospel text. Paul says so explicitly. Second, do we have the career of Jesus here? Absolutely. In verse 3, Paul says Christ died for our sins. That's the crucifixion, right? In verse 4, Paul says that he was buried and that was, then he was raised on the third day. In verses 5 through 6, Paul lists his appearances this is important. Jesus showing himself to be physically alive in a restored physical body. Third, does Paul place special emphasis on Jesus' present kingship, that he's the king right now? Absolutely. Verses 20 through 28, we just read a little snippet, are all about the present reign of Jesus. He's in charge right now. And this is not to mention that the very first word of his gospel summary is the word Christ. When we hear Christ, we tend to think what? Jesus' last name, right? It's not Jesus' last name. If Jesus had a last name, it would have been of Nazareth. Christ means king. Every time we say Jesus Christ, we're affirming his kingship. And then finally, do we have a reference to Jesus the king's career as bringing a very particular story to a close, to a dramatic finish? Big time, check it out. Twice, look back at the verse. Paul says that Christ's career, first his death for sins, and then his resurrection on the third day were what? In accordance with the scriptures. Which means that these events happened in relationship to a larger story, the story of Israel. Now let's take a breath for a second. Let's pause. Let's take stock of what we covered, okay? What have we now done? We've looked at three meaty New Testament passages about the gospel proper, and what have we seen? We've seen, fellow ambassadors, that they all define the gospel proper, the left half of our big message. Again, we haven't gotten to the right half yet. The gospel proper is the full career of Jesus, which includes everything from his preexistence to his promise to return and judge everything, and how it completes Israel's story. We've seen that. Now, if we had more time, it wasn't playoff day, I could show you <laughs> that 2 Timothy 2.8 also says the same thing. And it says it in just 16 words. Listen to it. It's on your sheet. 2 Timothy 2.8. See if you can notice these elements. Gospel, career, kingship, completion in just 16 words. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. There it is, 16 words. 
And we could also see how even though the word gospel doesn't show up in this passage, Paul's famous Christ hymn, which you know if you've been around the church for a while, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, this is plainly a gospel text as well. What does it do? It relates the whole story of Jesus from his very beginning through his sacrificial life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and to the fact that now he's in charge of everything. Listen to Philippians 2, 9, the very last verse, or the second to last verse in the hymn. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There's Jesus' present kingship. He's in charge right now. Okay, there is one critical voice we have not heard from. What is the answer to every Sunday school question? It's Jesus, that's right. We've not heard from Jesus. Let's consider what Jesus says about what is the gospel proper. First of all, did Jesus understand the gospel as being centrally focused on his own life and career without question? Look at this, Mark 14, it's on your handout. Wonderful story. After an ostracized woman anoints him with oil, and he's touched by this, and and then after he defends her from her critics, listen to what Jesus says. You might have never noticed this before, or you've not seen it in this context. Listen to what he says. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Well, what's the implication? Steve, you're nodding like you get it. This is very gratifying for somebody in my position. (laughs) The implication is that Jesus' story, Jesus' career, including this tender interaction, is the gospel. Second, did Jesus lay stress on his own kingship? Did he talk about himself being the king constantly? Matthew and Mark are each emphatic that Jesus' gospel was the gospel of the kingdom. Look at Matthew 4.23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, everybody, the gospel of the kingdom. In his inaugural sermon in Luke 4, Jesus describes himself as the primary actor in that kingdom, the one anointed, kings were anointed, right? The one anointed to preach good news. And then lastly, Did Jesus see himself, his own career, as bringing the story of Israel to a close? Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he is as plain as you can possibly be. Listen to this verse. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what do we have there? Jesus preaches the gospel to you, and it's about him, his career, his kingship. Now, just in the interest of crystal clarity, let me say one more time. I really want you to hear me here. By saying that the gospel proper is the story of Jesus, which culminates in his, uh, which culminates in him bringing the story of Israel to a close, okay? By defining the gospel proper in this way, we're not saying here in Ambassador U, week four, that this is our whole message. We're not saying that. And that's because, again, look at the chart. 
Look down at the chart. Our fundamental message as ambassadors includes the stuff on the right. The big box of chocolates that is the benefits of the gospel for anybody who wants it. And we're going to have fun talking about that in two weeks, all right? Our fundamental message as ambassadors includes that whole rectangle, okay? Now hear me here. With this study, we are also not talking at all about how it is that we might initiate spiritual conversation with somebody, how we might do that, what the hook might be that we might have with an interested friend. That's a future topic. In fact, in Acts 17, Paul initiates conversation about Jesus by just referring to his audience's own experience, their lived experience, you could say. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Again, with this first round of Ambassador U, all we're trying to do, all we're trying to do is to get a firm grip on what is our message. We'll talk about other things in the future. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give a virtu virtual, virtual shoulder rub to the person in front of you. Virtual, don't touch them. Go ahead. Go ahead. If you know the person, you can touch them. And if you don't know Steve Buckholtz, feel free to touch him. It'll, it, it'll be okay. All right. All right. It's possible that after two very intense weeks, which I don't apologize for, this is Ambassador U. This is Hillside Covenant Church, and we're brainiac types, all right? But it's possible after two very intense weeks of exposition, really getting into a question deeply in Scripture, some of you might be thinking this, is this really necessary? And especially this emphasis about Jesus' present kingship. Couldn't we simply just say John 3.16 and I'll go to brunch? Could we do that? And more to the point, isn't this narrowing of the gospel really trying to get at what it means in specific biblical terms rather than sort of generalizing it somehow? Isn't this a weakness? Doesn't this make the message less relevant? A few minutes ago, I called 1 Corinthians 15 the T-Rex of gospel passages. Speaking of T-Rexes, I saw this cartoon the other day that cracked me up. As you can see, it, it, it shows uh, a T-Rex, and he is constructing a ship in a bottle. And then the caption reads, now whose arms are weak and useless? Okay. It might seem at first blush that a precise gospel with its you know, intense emphasis on the whole career of Jesus and his present kingship, it might seem that that somehow weakens the message, that it makes it sort of less compelling to the people we're trying to engage with. Here's the truth. It strengthens it immeasurably. The King Jesus gospel leads to an infinitely richer, bigger, greater, more dramatic Christian life and Christian identity. And that's the focus of next week, but I'm going to give you a preview. Last Wednesday, Tony Collins and I were in Starbucks in Walnut Creek, and we were talking about these issues, and it was really a wonderful conversation. We were talking about the gospel proper, and as we, we talked, and this so often happens with your spiritual companions, when, when you talk about the Bible with your spiritual companions, sometimes God's Spirit just kind of comes down so thick and heavy and gives you a new sense of truth that you've never seen before. And as we were talking, 
suddenly thoughts that I've had about this issue for many years, I didn't just start thinking about this January, just became so clear. You see, I have been obsessed with these issues for about 10 or 12 years. Issues like, what is the gospel? What is the message that we are sharing with people? And other related issues like, well, what is grace? We have a general sense for what it is, but when the biblical writers talk about grace, what is it that they are actually saying? Or what is the faith that saves? Thought a lot about that, read a lot over the last 10 years. My twin brother too, except my twin brother is at just a whole other level of obsession <laughs> with these issues. And part of the reason why I'm so obsessed about this is I love the church. I love it. I love coming to work every day, except for it's not work. I love what the church is, an outpost of the kingdom of God, an embassy of Jesus the King, and a family cabin, a place where anybody can come, anybody, regardless of who you are or what your starting point is, and meet Jesus the King. And because I love the church, I really do, we drive our kids crazy because we're always talking about the church you can imagine. Because I love the church, I have been troubled to see people trickling away from it, of which there has been a lot of conversation. I'm sure you're, you're, you're aware of it. And this, I want to tell you, has caused me pain. It hurts. And I thought a lot about it. And I wondered if maybe one reason why there has been this sort of like nationwide, at least in the West, I don't think it's true in the Southern Hemisphere, but why there's been this sort of growing disenchantment and this growing drift has been at least partly because the way we have introduced the faith to people has actually been deficient. And I've wondered if just by individualizing it, making it more and more generic, privatizing it, and yes, de-kinging it, taking away the king at the center of it in a very sincere attempt to make it relevant to modern people has actually drained much of the drama out of it. The gospel announces news. The gospel announces news of something that happened, really happened, leaving the world a different place. It's news that is bigger than any one of us. It speaks to our needs, but it's bigger than our needs. The news that having preexisted and then having been sent by the Father and becoming a human being and being the first person to live the created purpose, to image God perfectly, and then dying on the cross for our sins and then being uh, buried and then being risen from the dead and being seen by all sorts of people. The news that Jesus of Nazareth is the king of the world. He's reigning now. This man, this God-man who healed the sick and stilled storms and welcomed sinners and then killed evil by letting evil kill him. He's in charge. He's the one, the tyrants. 
Putin, name your titan, tech titan. They all think they're in charge, right? They're not in charge. He is. He's in charge. Jesus of Nazareth reigns over this world in glorious, absolute power. We affirm this every time we say Jesus Christ, even if we don't know we are doing it. And we would be stunned if we were to see him right now in his power and glory, which we will. The gospel declares that it's this man who is the king, our king, and thankfully for us, because at one point we were traitors, he is also our friend, our friend, our best friend, and he offers his friendship to anyone, and not only does he offer the opportunity to come close to him, it's better than that. He offers the opportunity to come into him, into his own person, and that means so much. It means that our lives are secure. It means that we live under his protection, and not just anyone, not some generic spiritual guru, but the one who's in charge of everything. We're under his protection. And here's what it also means. It means he can call us whenever he wants to do his bidding. And he does because he's the king and we belong to him. And sometimes that action is small scale. Sometimes that action is listen to your wife and don't rush her. Sometimes that call is be more patient. Don't be such a punk in meetings. And sometimes that action is not small scale, it's superhero. It's adopt that foster child. Put your body between that guy getting batoned and the five bullies. Sometimes it's that. But whatever it is, it's with the king. And that makes it thrilling. And when we water down the gospel, and in particular by swapping Jesus as the world's all-powerful and reigning king for some generic Jesus who gives us some kind of generic approval, completely disconnected to a larger story, when we do that, we cut away so much of what makes the Christian life so exciting and so exhilarating. It's to take the adventure out of the Christian life and to turn it into something safe and sterile and something you can easily walk away from and something that's honestly quite dull. Do you know what baptism does for us, friends? Baptism, so much more than simply washing us clean, and it does that, swears us in as special agents of the reigning all-powerful king. Our baptism certificates are our badges. <laughs> baptism makes us not just his beloved children. Baptism makes us God's agents of peace, service, mercy, and yes, protection for anybody who is vulnerable. And when Tony and I were reflecting on this over coffee, friend to friend, pastor to pastor, I saw this reality in a new light. And I said to him, I feel like God's speaking to me right now by the Spirit. And I even saw Tony in a new way. And I saw me in a new way. And I saw us in a new way. Agents of the reigning king. His personal friends as well, responsible for his call and immeasurably dignified 
because of it. That's the difference that a gospel with Jesus the King at the center of it makes. Next week, week five, we move to the lower half of our chart, lower left, and we are going to dig in on really what it means that Jesus completes the story of Israel and just prepare to learn something amazing. I mean, that might sound kind of theological and something people like me care about. It makes all the difference, and I will explain it next week. But friends, if you are here or you are watching on the screen, I know people watch on the screen. If you're here and you've never given your allegiance to Jesus, he offers you his friendship and forgiveness right now. Right now, you can come to him. You can accept the forgiveness he offers you because he died in your place on the cross. You can turn from your old way of life. You can turn to him. You can make him, Jesus, the reigning king, your leader, your guide, your best friend. You can make his worldwide family your family. You can make this beautiful family at Hillside, and it is an unbelievable, beautiful family. These people can be your people. Father, thank you for Jesus, your son, our king, who died for our sins and now reigns over all. What a privilege to belong to him, to, to have him as captain and friend, and to live for his good purposes in the world. And thanks for what we've learned today. Thanks for what we've been learning the last few weeks. Solidify it in our minds so that we can seek to live it out. We love you so much. And we pray in the name of our reigning king. Amen. Amen.